Welcome to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast. My name is Talea Dendi. I am a 10-year cancer thriver, cancer doula, and owner of On the Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. This podcast is about sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers, and those who made it on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complementary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. Hello, and welcome to Navigating Cancer Together. I am your host, Talea Dindi, and today our very special guest is Barry Ross. Barry, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me, Talea. My pleasure, Barry. Barry is a 10-year head and neck cancer survivor. She is the past volunteer chair of the Winship Cancer Institute's Patient and Family Advisors. Barry is also a member of the Emory Healthcare PFA Council, a Winship peer partner, and she serves as the patient advocate on the National Cancer Institute's Head and Neck Metastatic and Recurrent Task Force and Patient Advocate Screening Committee. Barry is a number one best-selling author of Stronger with Two, the inspiring story of a husband and wife winning the battle against cancer together. Barry, it's such a pleasure. I cannot wait for the audience to learn more about you and your very inspiring story and work. I am so ready to tell you <laughs> and share. No, I'm ready Thank to you. share. I am. All right, Barry. Well, let's kick it off. So Barry, tell us a little bit about you and um, your background, and then we'll just kind of, you know, have a free-flowing conversation. Okay. Well, I am almost now an 11-year um, head and neck cancer. And head and neck cancer is pretty rare. It's pretty rare, especially amongst African-Americans and even rarer, uh, rarer among African-American women. Um, and, and people always say, oh, well, you had brain cancer. No, that's separate than head and neck cancer. Head and neck cancer covers from your nose down to, say, your throat. That's what they call head and neck cancer. I want to be real clear about that. And I, um, in 2009, my husband, who had been sick for maybe two or three months and, and having was really struggling with his health, and we were out in, in Phoenix, we had our own business, and he was going back and forth to the doctor, couldn't get a diagnosis. So I went to one of his appointments with him, and uh, one of his symptoms was he had swellings different swellings throughout his body. And um, I went to one of his appointments with him and he mentioned to the doctor, he said, well, maybe it's something contagious because my wife has a swelling behind her ear. And I said, I do? <laughs> he said, yes. And I said, I hadn't recognized that at all. Um, and so he said, please look at my wife. Doctor came over, looked at me and said, I don't know what's wrong with your husband yet, but I have a pretty good idea of what might be wrong with you. So could you come back tomorrow? Went back the next day, he stuck a fine needle into the swelling behind my ear 
And within 48 hours, he called me and he said, well, I still don't know what's wrong with your husband, but you have cancer. <laughs> and I just looked at him. I said, I have cancer. I'm not sick. I don't have any symptoms. I'm fine. He says, yes, you're in good health, but you have cancer. So my question to him was, um, so what are we going to do about it? No, I know mm -hmm. he, he wanted me to, I think he was used to people crying or getting upset. Yes. And so he, he hands me this box of Kleenex and I hand it back to him. And I <laughs> <Wow>. said, <laughs> I said, I'm not going to cry about this. I don't see a reason to cry. And my question is, what are we going to do about this? Mm. He looked at me and he said, well, I'm prepared for that question. He said, but I don't have a definitive answer. Um, he said, you know, the hospitals out here in Phoenix, the best guy that take that does what you have and has had some success with it, um, he uh, he doesn't take your insurance. And mm. I looked at him and I said, OK, so what are we going to do about this? Mm -hmm. He said, well, the second guy I went to school with and I know him very well and he's very good, but he doesn't take your insurance. So I said, mm. I said, so what? answer do you have for me other than mm -hmm. this and he said well i found somebody in a book mm. and he <laughs> takes your insurance but he can't see you for six weeks or so i said okay 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 i said here's what's going to happen i said you are having an insurance conversation i want to have a save barry's life conversation mm. they're not touching what you're telling me is not even coming close to what I expect to hear or what I need to hear. I said, so what we're going to do is you continue to work on my husband. And he had my husband scheduled for a biopsy uh, two, two or three days later. I said, you continue to work on my husband. Give me all my information that you diagnosed me with my, you know, labs and the uh, MRI or CAT scan. Mm -hmm. I said, and I'm going to go look somewhere else but you continue to work with my husband as it turned out i left his office and he gave me everything i left it i left his office and i called my daughter who uh thank god in so many ways um she was in atlanta and she worked at the cancer center at oh, winship wow. yeah that's god and um i called her up and i and she answered the phone and she said have you found out what's wrong with papa uh, and I said, no, but I have cancer. And she said, what? And I said, I have cancer. I said, I just left the doctor's office. I have my CAT scan and my uh, labs. And she said, mommy, send that to me right now. Just wherever you are, stop at Staples and send it to me. And this is, you know, before the smartphones. Stop at Staples, <laughs> send me everything and uh, let me call you back. So I did. And I didn't even get home. And she called me and she says, mommy, this is very serious. It's not just cancer, it's spread. It's in your lymph nodes, according to the um, CAT scan and according to the labs. And uh, I showed this to my doctor and he told me to get you on a plane tonight. I said, oh, mm. <laughs> wasn't mm. expecting that. I said, but I can't leave tonight, sweetheart. I said, because we still don't know what's wrong with Papa. And mm -hmm. he's having a biopsy tomorrow or, you know, he's having a biopsy. And uh, so long story short, I called my husband's sister. She flew out to uh, Georgia. I mean, she flew out to Phoenix and I met her at the airport 
turned him over to her and I flew to Atlanta. Wow. Running for my life. So I get to Atlanta and the next day I'm at the hospital uh, and they confirmed through their tests what the other doctor had said, only they said it was, it, it had spread quite a bit and uh, they had to be very aggressive with it. Mm-hmm. So while I'm in there talking to my doctor, my daughter, uh, my husband calls and he is inconsolable. He's crying. Mm-hmm. We can't make out what he's saying. His sister gets on the phone and she's like, look, he has uh, been diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Mm-hmm. They want to put him in the hospital here and start 23 hour day chemo for the next six weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, he's pretty, he's in pretty bad shape. So my daughter is, she tells me, I look at her and it was, it was a moment that was so surreal because I'm saying, how can we both have cancer at the same time? It's two different kinds of cancer. You know, all the questions, all mm-hmm. the questions and everybody's still waiting for me to cry, but I'm not that person. I'm mm-hmm. the calm person let's look at it let's i'm the analyst let's <laughs> analyze it let's you know go through some steps you know and see where we are so he's crying and he's telling her i can't do this without my wife i need to know my wife is okay da, 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 da. she goes to her doctor and he's like get your dad here we'll get mm-hmm. we'll do the family plan no questions about insurance no questions about any of that stuff. We have two sick people. They need our help. We're capable. Get them both here. Mm. Two days later, my husband was in Atlanta. He, they picked him up, took him directly to the hospital, ran their test, and started him on 23-hour-a-day chemo. In the meantime, I was being staged, staged, if you know what that means. Mm-hmm. So they had done a biopsy and done a uh, scope all through my body and said, okay, it's stage four. And I mm-hmm. was like, Whoa. and I'm still not sick. I'm still mm-hmm. not sick to Leia. Mm-hmm. I'm still walking around. I'm talking. And so they were telling me, well, you start to get ready because you're going to be sick and you're going to be very, very sick. Mm-hmm. And uh, because we're going to do chemo and radiation at the same time. Mm-hmm. And for many patients, you get one and then you get the other. And then he said, and ultimately, I'm going to tell you this now, it's going to end up being a surgery as well. Mm-hmm. because what you have is so aggressive and it's moving so fast. So for the next six months or so, uh, my husband's in the hospital. I'm being treated as the outpatient going every day for six, seven weeks, five days a week for radiation. Mm-hmm. On the other days, I was getting chemo. I lost the ability to talk. I lost yeah. the ability to eat and swallow. And I had a feeding tube in for a year. Uh, um, the, the treatment was very, very aggressive. There was so, I had so many setbacks as well because my immune system was gone. So if this was way prior to COVID, if, mm-hmm. any, if I was around people, whatever was in the air, I was subject to. So I had several, infect, I had a couple of infections I had uh, pneumonia twice. Mm. I had, I was septic. 
I almost died from sepsis. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and everything started shutting down and mm -hmm. I was sepsis. I was in the hospital that time for almost three weeks. Oh. Um, and in between my husband being in and out of the hospital, when he would come home, he would try to be a caretaker for me. Mm -hmm. you know, feeding me through the tube or making sure I could, you know, he would stand in the shower with me so that I could bathe and because I was so weak. Um, but after a year, after about a year, we both, well, he started healing a lot faster than I did. Mm -hmm. his, his healing within six months, he was stronger. I mean, because he could still eat the whole time and he was still trying to like walk and do, yes. do some, you know, some kind of exercise. I was not able to do those things. I was too weak and stuck in the bed most of the time. <sighs> but after about, oh, oh, and let me, let me put this in. Um, right in the middle of our treatment, our daughter who we were staying with, and she was our primary care. Uh, and then my other daughter who was coming in and out, she was in the Washington DC and she was coming down every week or so to help give her sister a break. Mm -hmm. But in the middle of all of that, my daughter I was staying with, she and her husband got pregnant. Oh, wow. <laughs> so now she's got two parents, very, very sick, and she's pregnant. Wow. <laughs> but um, during all of that, uh, and and it, and it you know it was amazing because there were people who came and and I I write about this in the book because I thought it was very I, you know it was so amazing how mm -hmm. God sent so many angels people we knew and people we didn't know to mm -hmm. help us to help my daughter to help the situation some people came and stayed a week some people came and stayed a minute but made a difference yes yes but made a difference. Your story is so amazing. Um, it, it, there's just so much to talk about here. <laughs> and I, I just, wow, you and your husband pretty much being diagnosed at the same time. And Barry, um, you had stated that you didn't feel sick prior to starting the treatment. Now, I found that so interesting as well for myself, you know, it's like you get this diagnosis and you're feeling pretty good. And then the treatment is actually making you feel <laughs> and become like physically sick. Mm -hmm. And so um, how did you feel about the aggressiveness of the treatment that, um, that you had to take? Once, uh, and I write about it in the book. When I got there and they, you know, showed me the tumor in the, on the um, CAT scan. Uh, and they kept coming in and they, and they said, you know, you're all, everything else is fine. You're healthy. I mean, you're perfectly healthy, but you have stage four cancer. And it was just like, wow. But what I learned cancer is so sneaky it is yeah. so sneaky and that's the mm -hmm. word is that it does for some people i mean even with my husband taking four i mean six weeks to be diagnosed because they were like oh you have a lymph node infection oh mm -hmm. you have this oh it could be that and they're looking for everything 
And the cans are sitting there. Yeah. So I felt once I read and understood and did my own research about the staging mm -hmm. and where I was, stage 4B, and yeah. stage 4C, they send you home or they send you the palliative care mm -hmm. or hospice. I was yeah. like, okay. So that was my answer. When I kept saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? They came to me with an answer and a plan that said, we're going to radiate. We're going to chemo and eventually we're going to go in and anything that radiation and chemo aren't able to get, we'll get with the surgery. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I understood the aggression that was necessary because then when, again, I'm the analyst. So mm -hmm. when I looked at people who had what I had yeah. and how, and the treatment and, and the, the numbers of people that don't survive, mm -hmm. even with the treatment, I was all in. <laughs> yeah. I was all yeah. in. Wow. And you know what I also love, Barry, is how right away you took control and you became your own self-advocate and you said, hey, I need you to talk about the cancer. I'm not concerned about the insurance. We're not having the same conversation. And I love how you did that and how you stated that, because I'm sure that was able to kind of snap the doctor out of it and say, oh, okay, I need to talk like this and address this directly. So I love that. And um, I think more people um, need to be able to have that within themselves and say, hey, I need you to talk about this specific thing. This is what I'm struggling with and that I need answers on. We can worry about that other stuff later. So yeah. kudos to you for that, because that is so important. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Absolutely. Barry, may I ask what, what kind of symptoms your husband was having, you know, that led him to go to the doctor? My husband's big my husband's foremost symptoms was fatigue. Okay. He could not get enough rest. He, you know, we were both, I guess we had our own business. He would try to work. He would come to work. And within less than an hour of being at work, he'd have to go back into the office and lay down, mm -hmm. not sit. He would lay down and then he might get up for 15 or 20 minutes and thought he felt okay. But then he was had to lay down all the time. He was just tired and weak. Um, so he ended up sleeping, oh gosh, 18 hours a day or more. Uh, and that was one of the big symptoms. Later on, that was the first symptoms and the long lasting symptoms. Later on, he started getting swellings under his arm, under his neck, uh, throughout his lymphatic system. Mm -hmm. So it is growing uh, in you know, different places. Uh, the swelling started. And that's mm -hmm. when they said, oh, it's, an, it's, a lymph, no, it's a lymph infection or something. Mm -hmm. uh, then they thought it was his thyroid because of the fatigue all the time. Then he started being real sensitive to everything, mm -hmm. sensitive to light, sensitive to uh, touch. He started being very, his sensitivity was like you know, sensitive to itself, he turn over and go, Oh, my God, this hurts, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, without me even touching him or anything. So that was, I recall, too, he was thirsty all the time. 
the okay. thirst, could not, you know, drink enough water, drink enough water. So those were the main symptoms. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. And Barry, how were you and your husband able to encourage each other and just say, hey, we got to get through this. I'm sure the new baby on the way might have helped in some way. Um, How did you guys help keep each other going? He, I think, first of all, what we had to do was encourage ourselves individually. Mm -hmm. And I think the time that we spent apart because there were weeks and weeks we didn't see each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in the hospital. And at one point he was in isolation because again, his immune system, he was getting all kinds of C. diff, if you've ever heard of that, which is mm-hmm. absolutely horrible. Yes, uh, it is. He had that and it's very contagious. And he was isolated for, um, I think a month or so with that. I couldn't go see him. By the time he got through with that, I was starting to deteriorate from the radiation and everything. And even though we were on the same campus, I had not, I had not strength to go over to visit him in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, most of the times, what my daughter would do is she would take me to infusion or the radiation, leave me there, go across campus to the hospital, visit him, and then come back and get me Mm -hmm. and tell me what he said or how he was doing. But I think that time apart, um, and I'm very candid, that time apart, it became your life, your fight. Mm -hmm. So we weren't even fighting together. We were both fighting for our own lives. And then after a while, and I would say that was maybe four months or more, when he could come home and be with me some of the time, because he'd be in for six weeks, he might come home for a week, and then you go back and start six weeks. So during that week when he was home, that's when we would talk about what he was going through what I was going through, but, but to answer your question, what mm-hmm. we were going through. Yes. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, I can understand that when you have to be apart for so long and it does come about, come to the point of, you know, this is my life. I have to show up for myself and keep myself going. And then maybe who's whoever's feeling the best first, then we can kind of step in, you know, for that person. So that makes total sense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And may I ask Barry, how did all of this impact your caregivers, your daughters? Oh, oh, they were rock stars. They were rock stars. They are rock stars. Mm -hmm. One of the things, when we got through this, and every time we would tell, because we became like celebrities at the hospital, (laughs) okay? Uh, at, at, At Emory, we became celebrities. Oh, that's that couple that, you know, everybody knew who we were. And so I spoke at seminars, I spoke in classes, we, we did everything to talk about our experience because it was so unusual. And everyone would say, oh, you have to write a book. You have yes. to tell the story. You have to write a book. And I listened for a few years and I was like, I am so not ready to write this book. But when I get ready, I'll write it. 
So I, Talaya, until I wrote the book <laughs> and I had to interview my daughters yeah. for the book, I only saw them in the doing. I call it the doing, mm -hmm. the handling things, the making sure I got to the hospital, the making sure my husband got whatever he needed, the reading the reports. I saw them calling people to say, we need help with mom and dad. Mm -hmm. You know, we need some help. Could this cousin come down? Could this sister come? You know, whoever it was. I saw them in the doing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I interviewed them for the book that I felt and understood that every night they were talking to each other, crying, that when my daughter was pregnant, her husband, my my son-in-law, who I love dearly, he would she would come in the room, talk to me, give me a feeding, do whatever I needed done. And then she would close that door, walk across the room, get halfway up the steps and break down. And he had to come and get her every night mm -hmm. and help her. And that she was so, you know, but she was so strong. Mm -hmm. Um in front of me but and the the daughter my youngest daughter that was away up in washington who couldn't even see me she was having a whole nother experience because she couldn't see me yes. and her sister is telling her and then whatever she was hearing she was still taking in Mm -hmm. And either think the worst or, you know, oh, I, she's not telling me the whole truth, you know. Yes. And it wasn't until I interviewed them that I got it about the stress they were under, still trying to go to work, still trying to run her family, still trying to work, run her family, take care of me, worry about, you know, Papa and, and herself. And her yeah. pregnancy. Yeah. So and they were rock stars. They are rock stars. Um, because when, <laughs> it's funny because when I look back on it now and everybody says, I don't know how do you did it. And I'm like, I don't know how my daughter did it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I really don't. I really mm -hmm. don't. But they did. <laughs> such a blessing that you had both of them. And it makes such a difference too when you have people like that in your life that just, like you said, they just show up and they do whatever they got to do to make sure that they're contributing to your healing. Um, and a lot, some people don't have that, unfortunately. I know. Yeah, yeah. I know. And I can just imagine how that made you feel, just knowing mm -hmm. that you know, you had these amazing women show up for you every day and do the best that they could. So I yeah. love that. Well, one of the things I say, I take it a little bit further and I, you know, that's just the mom, but I say, um, God sends angels, but he allowed me to give birth to two. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Perfectly said. Yes, yeah. they are definitely angels. <laughs> they are. They are. <laughs> And so, Barry, let's shift a little bit to the work yes. that you're doing. And um, because I have an idea of what it's like, 
um, to be a cancer patient. I understand this question. I, I understand why you're doing the work. But for the audience, please share how your cancer journey led to your patient and family advocacy. Mm-hmm. In the somewhere in the late part of my treatment, um, I got sick. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they had already told me, uh, your treatment's over. I had a major, major surgery. I had a, what they call a radical neck dissection. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it left me with long, I mean, you know, it, uh, we could talk about the long-term effects of cancer oh, and yes. the treatment. But uh, on, on the right side where they took out the tumor, when they went in to find if they were in, in the lymph nodes, uh, my whole right side, I have no feeling from the top of my ear down to my breast. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was an eight, 10 hour surgery. It was very intricate. Anyway, I was healing from that. And I was about maybe three weeks out, maybe a month. And I went to the doctor one day and I didn't follow up. And I said, you know, I'm sick. I don't feel well. And the doctor said, well, you know, you're good. You know, we're not seeing any cancer or anything. I said, well, I really don't think it's cancer. If you tell me you don't see cancer, it's not cancer. It's something else. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, just go home and and, and rest and relax. You're probably stressed or whatever. I got home and about three o'clock that morning, I woke my husband up and I said, so honey, I'm sick. I want to go to the emergency room. I don't know what's wrong with me. Don't think it's cancer, but it's something. I get to the emergency room. They run all the cancer tests. They come back and they go, we're going to send you home because you don't have cancer. We don't, we're not seeing any cancer and we, can't, we don't see anything else wrong with you. So I said, I'm not going home. Right. I said, um, oh, yeah. I said, I'm not going home. I said, there is something wrong with me. And I said, and I appreciate uh, that the emergency room people can't figure it out. I said, but I went to the same place I was being treated. I said, but I have three, I have a team of doctors who I've been working with for the last year. Mm-hmm. I said, so I want to see one of them. So they come back and in, in these, and it's college research school, mm-hmm. respect. Yeah. And these three residents show up and they're like, well, we're, you know, the doctor you've asked to see he's in surgery and he won't be out until five o'clock this evening. Well, it's about seven in the morning. I said, mm-hmm. okay, well, I'll be here at five when he's ready. <laughs> I said, but, and they said, no, no, we're going to send you home. I said, look, I'm not going home. Yeah. I said, if he's not available, there are three other doctors on the team and you find one of them. And I said, and then they got, kind of huffy with me mm. you know well, we're we're head residents and, da, 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 da. and i said good for you i said and <laughs> i'm so glad you're trying to be doctors but i already have some doctors mm. i said mm-hmm. and i don't want you to come i don't want either of the three of you to come back in here and talk to me wow okay mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah it was that deep and i said so you go if dr w is in surgery and i respect that then you go find dr b or dr c okay mm-hmm. but i'm not going home because y'all you guys say that and the emergency people so a few hours later dr b comes in and he and the first thing he said to me he was like oh mrs ross i heard you're giving our residents a hard time <laughs> i looked at him and i said dr b 
you and I have been working <laughs> for a year now. I said, and we're good. I said, but don't come to talk to me about residents. Yeah. And you knew said, something was wrong. You know I yourself. Told I told him, I said, there is something wrong with me. I said, I don't know what it is. I don't know why they're giving me cancer tests. You and I agreed yesterday when I saw you in your office that I don't have cancer. I said, but I'm sick. And I said, and I want, instead of sending me home, I want you guys to start thinking out the box. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I need, you, I need you to do that. And I said, and when you do that, then you come back in here and you tell me some other things it could possibly be. It's not cancer. I know it's not cancer. The tests aren't showing cancer. You come back with something else. I said, right. because I am sick. Yeah. My husband is sitting over there and his eyes are like this big because I'm <laughs> talking to them that way, right? <laughs> and so anyway, long story short, he comes back and he says, well, maybe it's this and maybe it's maybe a cystitis. He's coming back with all of these things. Maybe it's some kind of infection, but it's not showing up on the blood test and da, 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 da. I said, okay. So he said, so what I'm going to do is, I'm going to admit you to the hospital overnight. Mm -hmm. And if nothing comes up, then promise me you'll sign to go home tomorrow. I said, let's start with you going, let's stay with you going to admit me to the hospital overnight. And then whatever happens tomorrow, I will review it then. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Take control. You You have to take control. I go to the, I go in, they admit me. It's like six or seven o'clock. The other doctor that wouldn't be ready till five, he comes over and he, he came in the room and he started about his residency. And I said, please, if, if, if somebody else mentions to me about those kids, <laughs> I said, I'm not here for that. Right. that you, you all deal with that. They're, they're your children. They're not mine. So <laughs> he, he, he says, well, Dr. B admitted you, so uh, we'll, be, we'll be looking at things and, you know, we'll, we'll see you tomorrow. Ten, about 11 o'clock that night, this thing comes up on my neck, this big white thing. The nurse came in, he saw it, and he said, oh, my God, oh, my God, what is this? And he called the doctor on call, the night doctor, and he came and looked at it and immediately started um, a universal uh, antibiotics. They called the doctor, the surgeon, and I had an abscess that had burst. I was septic. I ended up, he ended up doing whatever he does. He couldn't even take me to the mm, operating room. He did it in the room, in the bed. He cut it started draining it. I lost consciousness for days and days and days and days. I ended up being in the hospital for uh, three weeks. Uh, I was everything. I was catheterized. I couldn't do nothing. I was catheterized. I had machines doing everything, everything. Had I gone home, I would have died. I would have and died. you know, in all and that, it took you all that effort and energy to get them to stop and say, hey, we better admit her. But you knew. I knew. I knew. I didn't know what I knew, but I knew I was Something. sick and I knew I shouldn't go home. And Something. that's when my patient advocacy 
started. My patient advocacy started with me. My patient advocacy actually started the day I told the other, the, the day I was told, we don't take your insurance. Okay, mm-hmm. that's when it really started. I didn't know it then. But mm-hmm. that, that night or that day when I said, I am not going home, I am not signing anything. I want every, I don't care who you have to bring in here, but somebody's got to come with something else. Okay. And when I got through that, and on the other side of, you know, that which then set my healing back a whole nother six or seven months. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got stronger <laughs> and I was getting smarter and I saw that what I did worked for me mm-hmm. in taking control and demanding and asking and not being dismissed. That's it. Mm-hmm. Not being dismissed. Um, I said, you know what? I can do this for others. I will do this for others. I must do this for others. Uh, Because the more I learned about how dismissive the doctors are, especially, and I'm just going to say it, I hate to say it, but it's the truth, especially among Mm African-Americans and especially among hysterical women uh, or hypochondriac women, the, the more I knew I had to fight and I, and that I had the arsenal to fight because I had the experience. Mm-hmm. I had the documentation. Yes. Okay. So the advocacy uh, just became a passion. It is a passion. I do it every day. Um, and, 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 and when I wrote my book and it's, and all of this is in there, I'm not saying anything that's not in the book, mm-hmm. but when I wrote my book, when I say stronger with two, people go, oh, it's such a love story. It's about you and your husband. No, it's about stronger with two because if I say in, in, in every chapter or in every scenario, mm-hmm. there's always at least two people. Yes. So if it's me and my daughter, I'm stronger with her. If it's my two daughters together, they were stronger together. Mm-hmm. If it's me and my husband, it's stronger. If it's me and my patients I deal with, hopefully I, I bring them some strength. So the, the, mm, the title came from that, not just mm-hmm. a love story about me and my husband. <laughs> wow. I, I just love the work that you're doing. I love the strength that you bring. And it's in a very uh, professional way, but you're still standing up for yourself saying, hey, I matter. And I have a concern that needs to be addressed. And I'm not taking any less than that. I'm not accepting any less than that. And to me, it's not personal. It's about my health. It's not personal or an attack on you as the doctor yeah. or the healthcare yeah. system. I'm telling you what I need you to do. And right. so I love that. And the people that have you have as their advocate, they are truly blessed. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. And so what role does your advocacy play in addressing healthcare disparity issues in African-American and Latino communities? Mm-hmm. It takes several, it takes several, it takes several positions or several roles. First of all, um, it, like I said, starting my advocacy at 
Winship at the clinic, the, mm-hmm. the cancer clinic of Emory. And then I expanded it to all of Emory Healthcare. So I sit on, I sat sit on two different committees, two different advocacy advocacy committees for the overall healthcare. For I don't care if it's cardiology, radiology, I don't care. Mm-hmm. That's the Emory Healthcare part. Then I still do the cancer patient part. But then three years ago, I took it to a national level uh, with the National Cancer Institute. Okay, um, in Maryland, in Washington, mm-hmm. D.C. And prior to COVID, I was speaking up on my experience, but also getting research from them about, you know, Latinos and, and African Americans. Mm-hmm. And they've had this data known about the disparity for, oh, ever. Ever. <laughs> And it was always, yeah, we know it's out there, but it was never a priority. It was like, yeah, we got this information. We got data on everything, but you know, we got to address this first. We got to address that first. We're doing this and we'll get back to that. And if we do this, that'll, you know, like trickle down, like the economics that never trickle down. Well, mm-hmm. the trickle down medicine, we'll get to that. Well, COVID came along and jazz blew the cover. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It blew the cover when COVID and they would put up the numbers nationwide every night. um, And then they stopped. If you notice, they stopped. They did. But Uh because it was getting, it was getting so unbelievable. And then, you know, COVID comes along, George Floyd comes along, Black Lives Matter. And everybody is saying, well, the kind of matters, but you know, it's trickling down, you know, and it just gave me even more, <laughs> mm-hmm. more passion about how to speak up and how to deal with it. So I also work at uh, or work with the people at Morehouse University who've gotten a big grant mm-hmm. post-COVID uh, to deal with and to look at and to really, really get into not just the medical reasons, but the socioeconomic reasons yes. and the historical reasons yes. that lead up, that led, lead, continue to lead to the incredible disparity, the incredible dismissiveness of, of us. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> true. Of us. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's sad because there are people who are not as comfortable as you speaking up and speaking out. So they accept what is and is not given to them. Right. And they continue on and they become sicker and sicker. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're part of the statistics that they choose to share. And it's getting worse and worse instead of getting better. And You hear people continuously, like you said, talk about it, but it has not changed very much. No. Part of it is, and that's also another part of my advocacy, is patient education. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, and then particularly African-Americans and Latinos, Mm -hmm. African-Americans, a lot of people historically, you know, won't even go to the doctor. Yeah, because that goes back to the history. History. 
That's mm-hmm. correct. I mean, I was telling them, I said, you know, you know, when they say, oh, that happened so long ago, you should be over it. Well, you know, we're not, okay, because it's still happening. And I tell them, I said, why would you say, I sat in a, in a seminar and people were challenging me, which is fine. That's what it's for. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be a discussion, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And somebody says, well, it's been so long ago. Why don't you, I mean, you, you guys, you guys, not you people, you guys, <laughs> you should get over it. And I said, well, what would you call a long time ago? <laughs> oh, it's been at least you know, five generations or so. I said, no, it hasn't. No, said, it has tell you something. And I tell them that, but that's their perspective. I said, it's been two generations for my family. I said, my grandfather was in the army. He was in the Negro army. And he and his troops were used by the U.S. government to test mustard gas Okay, they were guinea pigs. Okay, he died. He was in the army. He died before he had his 35th birthday from mustard gas poisoning. Okay, so there's my grandfather, there's my father, and there's me. Mm -hmm. Show me, we're talking two generations ago, we're not talking hundreds of years ago, we're talking two generations. So tell me why, if this is my grandfather and this is my father who was scared to go to the doctor, scared to trust the, trust the government or whatever, and mm-hmm. then there's me. Show me mm-hmm. why we should be over it. Everybody got quiet. And not just time, the fact that it's still happening and they are not bridging the gap and trying to form those relationships in a cohesive partnership type way to move forward. It's, it, it, it takes two. Right, right. And that's part of the all of us research and program that's being done, um, not just in Morehouse. Morehouse is big down here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's part of, it's a nationwide program. It's called All of Us, if you could look it up, mm-hmm. uh, where they are, there are, I won't say they, there are some attempts to, you know, address, I mean, first of all, how about a nice, we apologize, (laughs) you know, we apologize, acknowledge that it happened, don't dismiss it, first of all, and and I've been in many rooms, I said, just acknowledge it, Mm -hmm. instead of coming, you're going to come to me and tell me it's been a hundred years, when I'm sitting here knowing that it hasn't, because it's Mm -hmm. in my family, and then Mm -hmm. when I bring it up, everybody goes, oh, after you tell me, and then I bring it up, and then you go, we didn't know that, we didn't know anything mm-hmm. about that. So then don't come to me telling me to get over it if you didn't even know anything about it. And you know, too, dare you. it's not an opinion. It's a fact. There you go. It's, it's a fact. And yes. so by it being a fact and you being in a professional role, you have to separate the two and not take it personal. It's not a personal attack. No, it's not. It's yeah. not. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. It's not. But, you know, again, you know, the conversations, you know, I could go so many directions with this, but the conversations must be had. And and for you to think that you're being hurt, (laughs) the person that you're the one being hurt by having the conversation, 
So you're going to make up alternative facts or statements, and they're just supposed to stand. But if I say something, you challenge me or tell me to get over it, mm-hmm. that's not conversation. We're not mm-hmm. going anywhere. It's not going to move. It's not going to move the needle. Um, but, you know, I look at what, I've, what I tell people is what I've started to do, and I guess I've kind of always done it, but did again didn't recognize it. Mm-hmm. Uh, is to take any 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 place I am, any situation I'm in, and do a three sixty, not a one eighty. Mm-hmm. Not a one eighty. Not a one eighty. Mm-hmm. I go all. I, I check myself and I look at this and I go all around, and until I come back to where I started, which is a three sixty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and seek answers in each one of those 360 degrees or whatever it is and yes. look for the truth or look for an answer or look for something that doesn't make sense. Um, right. you know, that's where I am. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a good way to be because um, it's important to have self-reflection and self-awareness, but you also have to be mindful of what's happening and going on around you as well. Correct. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is a very powerful conversation. And the last piece I want to ask you, because it fits into what we're talking about now, mm-hmm. is what advice do you have for people that want to learn more about clinical trials? Because that's very yeah. important for African American people, Hispanic people, other cultures and races, it's important for them to know about other options that are available if a standard treatment does not work for them. And I'm asking this question because a lot of us are not represented in the research for those clinical trials. So what advice do you have for people who want to learn more about clinical trials and what are some of the barriers that you think are keeping people from being a part of those clinical trials? Hmm. That's an excellent question. One of the reasons I started my work with the NCI, National Cancer Institute, is because that's all it's about is clinical trials. The work that I do on those task force that you mentioned uh, are about clinical trials and are about new medicines and new efficacies uh, being introduced. One of the things I've learned, and and you just mentioned it, you go to the hospital, something's wrong with you. The first thing they give you is standard of care. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what it's called. And it's like aspirin. Everybody gets it. You come in with these symptoms, you get standard of care. But the way medicine is moving now is that pretty soon, and and I mean soon, next 10 years or so, maybe less, all medicines are going to be customized. Okay? Mm -hmm. I mean, all the collection of the DNAs and all of this stuff, that's where it's going. Okay? (laughs) It's going Mm -hmm. to medicine for Talea for whatever is wrong with Talea. Mm -hmm. So 
if they have clinical trials, and I participated in a clinical trial when I was ill, but if they have clinical trials and the only people they're customizing the medicine for are the people in the clinical trials and we are representative, then we will continue to get the standard of care and continue to die at these outrageous numbers when other people are living and surviving things that we are dying from. Mm-hmm. So our responsibility, and that's why I say patient education is so critical because one of the reasons we don't go to the doctor or one of the reasons we don't go to the doctor is one, we feel dismissed. Mm-hmm. Two, the doctors talk to us in doctor language. And I work with the doctor saying, quit talking to patient in doctor language and talk to patient and patient and their families in, you know, patient language. Mm-hmm. So I teach them patient language. I teach the doctors patient language. The other reason we don't go to the doctor is all of the reasons we just mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, Tuskegee, Henrietta Lacks, the, you know, <laughs> gassing the blacks, uh, black soldiers, all kinds of historical reasons not to go. Mm-hmm. We cannot continue and, and we don't have to get over it to not continue. But we cannot continue to take that stand instead of taking that stand with, you know, oh, they did this. Oh, they did that. We have to hold them accountable for what they do today and tomorrow. Mm-hmm. OK, so if there is something wrong with you, whether it's your heart, I mean, clinical trials go across all the spectrums of merit of, 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 of okay. medical. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if there is something wrong with you and they go, oh, you know what, we're doing this, but it's not working. Is there a clinical trial? Absolutely. Where do I go? Because it's probably not going to be in your neighborhood. It's not exactly. going to be at your little local, your, it's not going to be at your little local doctor or clinic. You may have to come to Atlanta and go to a research center. That's mm-hmm. where clinical trials are. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. People that go to say XYZ hospital here, if they want a clinical trial, they got to go to Emory. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so we have to learn to be able, we have to be able to learn to distinguish between a research hospital and a local hospital. Absolutely. And then if there's something wrong with us, we have to be willing to leave our 20 mile radius mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe go a hundred miles. And a lot of times when these big university hospitals are looking for people, Mm -hmm. they cover those costs because we'll get into and totally understand it. Oh, if I go there, I got to stay in a hotel and I got to do this and I got to do that. Well, when you ask for the clinical trial, ask for the financial assistant, because most of them have money associated with them just for that. Thank you, Barry, for touching on that, because that was going to be the next thing um, I wanted you to talk about, because that's a huge stigma as well. Like, well, you have to be rich or you have to be, um, you know, be really connected in the health community to get access to clinical trials. And that's simply not true. It's not. You have to be smart. You have to be willing to make some sacrifices. You know, like I said, if you have to leave your home for six weeks or a month or whatever, it sounds like a lot, but you're talking about your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're talking about your life. So uh, you don't have to be rich. You have to be willing to ask and not just let them tell you. 
So much wisdom information in this conversation. I really hope that people sit with this, take it in and use it for good, whether it's for themselves or for someone else that they care about, um, because you have shared so many jewels. And please tell us um, where they can find your book and where they can find out more about you, Barry. Sure, sure. My book is Stronger With Two. It's available on Amazon. It's available on my website, barryellenross.com. Uh, if you order from there, you get a signed copy and you get to access me and ask questions or whatever. Uh, I am on Facebook. I'm, I'm on Facebook is Barry Roberts. I haven't updated that yet. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. And uh, it's on Barnes and Nobles. It's on Walmart. You know, you can pretty much get the book anywhere. Okay, it's perfect. Yeah. Perfect. So make sure you pick up Barry's book. And Barry, we have had such a very interesting and powerful conversation. But before we go, I like to ask my guests these two questions. And you may, I, I know you've already answered this one, but if there's anything else you want to add, um, what is something that you've learned in life that you would like to share with the listeners? Your life, your fight. I don't care what it is. I don't care if you're fighting for a job. I don't care if you're fighting a disease. Your life, your fight. You have got to be your biggest advocate and you've got to be your biggest warrior. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got, you've got to, <laughs> it's, yes. everybody else is fighting for theirs, you know, everybody else. That's part of, that's part of the journey, mm -hmm. but advocate yes. for yourself. Don't let people tell you. That's so true. And so important. And, you know, I think part of that comes back to how you view your self-worth as well. Mm -hmm. You're worthy. Absolutely. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And my final question, Barry, is what is next for you? <laughs> Glad you asked. Um, <laughs> I am currently, interesting, I am currently working on a collaboration with uh, an um, African-American female doctor uh, about the behind the scenes of COVID. Mm. And uh, yeah, and her personal i mean it, it, she lost her father to covid in the middle of covid fighting for somebody else that's all mm. i'm going to say yeah wow. <laughs> so i'm i'm working on that now okay. and uh um uh that's my 2022 project mm -hmm. <laughs> started working on it uh, a few months ago but okay. that's what i'm working on now because we've got to have something major and significant um, come out of COVID mm -hmm. for our community across, I mean, across all spectrums, like I said, whether it's medicine, your fight, whether it's medicine, whether it's economics, whether it's housing, whether it's jobs, whether it's something, we are here, we matter, we exist. Mm -hmm. And this, this can't continue. I mean, as a way of population control, no, no, there's other ways. No, mm -hmm. not, not just having African-Americans dying from things and other people living a full life with it. 
you know, part of the clinical trials is, and I'm going to leave with this, part of the clinical trials are that cancer, they, they've learned quite a, most of the cancers. And again, most people don't know there's like 185 different kinds of cancer. Yes. And people think chemo, everybody gets the same chemo, no. whatever it is. <laughs> and it, it's nothing. And that's what I'm talking about, patient education. Mm-hmm. But most of um, things, most of the cancers now will be treated as chronic diseases like diabetes or something. Mm-hmm. They're, they're getting so close with some of the medicines and some of the protocols. Um, and most people are living, surviving longer. That's the biggest cancer group right now are survivors. That's right. Five years or more survivors, right? Mm-hmm. But we are still dying from basic things in, in numbers un- disproportionate from basic things mm-hmm. um, that we can't even get to the point where we can be treated as chronic. Mm-hmm. We so got to get past that. We got to get past that. So true. And that statement right there could turn into a whole nother podcast. So we'll end on that note. (laughs) And I just want to thank you, Barry, for sharing your time, your story, your wisdom with me and with the audience. It's it's so important, especially with everything that has happened in uh, healthcare and medical treatment and everything that is happening now. It's important to have these kinds of conversations. So I just want to thank you so much for being so gracious um, with everything. So thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, I'd like to give a shout out to the listeners. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. That is it for this Wednesday. And until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you enjoyed it. Please be sure to subscribe. And if you appreciate the show, drop a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For notes from the show, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. After you check out the show notes, head over to my gift shop and show yourself or someone special in your life some love with gifts of encouragement, hope, and positive affirmations. I would love it if you joined us for the next episode. Talk to you soon.